Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's Radio Deplorable with Dave Carter, that poet of the highways, that Proust of the Peterbilt, that Hemingway of the highway. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Carter. What do a musician, a writer, a poet, a management consultant, and a hermit of, all, of some sorts have in common? They all inhabit the same person, and that person is my guest. This is Radio Deplorable brought to you by Ricochet.com and by the fine folks at Quip who are pioneering a much-needed new approach to dental hygiene and maintenance, about which more in due course. I am Dave Carter. I'm a retired military veteran with three tours of duty in the Middle East and multiple other deployments, including a fun-filled year spent in Korea. I'm a former private detective, a radio show host, a cross-country 18-wheeler driver with over a million miles logged across America, and I'm a contributor here on Ricochet, as well as at the Federalist and over at Conservative Review. My guest has a great many interesting things going on in his life. But rather than tick off my own compilation of his biography, I'll break with tradition and simply read verbatim the material he provided because his style is every bit as informative as the content. Charlie Weatherford was born in Joliet, Illinois, but escaped in his 26th year. He's been a musician, a writer, and poet and occasionally held real jobs such as management consultant, process management consultant, data management consultant, change management consultant, and other positions involving looking at someone else's watch to tell them what time it is. He has owned three businesses at various times, although he is down to one at present. His greatest weakness is that when he sees something that needs to be done, he actually steps forward and does it, which anyone who has ever served in the military knows is a silly thing to do. Never volunteer. Initiative is always punished. His latest endeavor involves seeing how long he can go without leaving his hermit's cave. Unfortunately, the clock had to be reset last Wednesday, the 3rd of January, so it may be some time before he achieves greatness in his hermitage, unquote. What you hear, dear listener, 
or the words of an accomplished and talented gentleman. But what I hear when he speaks of his hermitage is a kindred spirit. And it is a privilege and a pleasure to welcome Charlie to the program. Charlie, how you doing, sir? What's going on? Fantastic. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your weekend to, to chat with us. That, that wonderful introduction of yours prompts a great many questions, most of which we'll get to. But I'd really like to start with this hermit cave of yours. I mean, do you, actually, do you have an actual retreat of sorts and where you go to seek refuge? Uh, well, we have a two-bedroom apartment. One bedroom we use for actually a bedroom, and the other's an office. So the office is my hermit cave. That's, it. That's kind of what I have going on here, exactly. Um, sometime back, I wrote a rather personal piece, and I'm, you probably remember it, about some of the challenges I was facing at that time. And in that column, I fessed up to having a peculiar personality type, which led to you and I having an interesting exchange behind the scenes, during which I learned that we share that same uh, personality type, and therefore the same need for a bit of solitude and a place to uh, to retreat, process, think, and recharge. I gather from my reading that it's a rather it's rather rare uh, to need, let alone achieve, something on the order of a monastic retreat in today's world. Is that is that your impression as well? Well, <laughs> part of what you're talking about there is the uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator. We're Correct. both INTJs. Right. And, of course, the uh, I, the first letter uh, in the indicator, is either E or I for introvert or extrovert. That's how you uh, get your energy. Right. And for introverts... They get their energy by being alone, whereas extroverts might go to a concert or the races or something where there's a big crowd of people, and that's how they charge up their energy. Well, about three-quarters of the people in the world are extroverts, and only about one-quarter of us are introverts. So that's why some of us need our little hermit caves. I read, I read somewhere the suggestion that all INTJ personality types should get together once for 30 minutes and then go home. I thought it was a great idea. This is a short time. <laughs> nice to meet you all. I'll be leaving now, you know. So, That's about right. Yeah, because the, the big crowd thing, I just, yeah. And I like concerts and things of that nature, but um, I, I can only take it for a certain amount of time and then I'm just looking for an escape, so. Um, well, okay, enough navel-gazing. How did you come to be a management consultant? How, how did that all work out for you? Well, I kind of did it by design from a fairly young age. I uh, got a business degree after I decided that math wasn't going to do it for me. <laughs> and, we share that, um, too. Oh, <laughs> well, in my case, it was because I had uh, thought I was going to be a math professor, and I decided that the students just weren't worth it. <laughs> okay, I, I was one of those students. I was, try, I was sitting there trying to figure out the uh, square root of a consonant, and it wasn't working out. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, the uh, so when I finally got a degree, it was in uh, business management, and uh, from there I wound up uh, programming computers for a while. But it was always with the aim in mind of becoming a management consultant. I eventually did that and uh, started my own company where it was both computer-related uh, and management-related, and uh, at times was um, employed by other companies, sometimes by myself, but always out there and working with uh, companies to try, them, try to make them better. 
can you uh, summarize, because you sent me a, a link, and I looked at the different types of management consulting that you've worked in, and uh, forgive me, please, but I've, I forgot some of the, You broke it down in one deal, different types of processes, I think, or different subcategories. Yes, um, that was uh, probably the five types of processes. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's when you're doing process management, it's good to understand why the process is there. And a lot of times people have various breakdowns for it. One of the breakdowns is uh, value-added processes versus non-value-added, except the thing is that they're all value-added. They're all there for a reason. But it's important to understand the reasons. So the five types of processes are the actual operational processes. In other words, why you're there in the first place. Uh, you know, if you're building widgets, then those are the manufacturing, the design processes, perhaps the sales processes as well. Everything that gets that, you know, from raw materials to widgets in the hand of customers and uh, money in your hands. So that's basically but the reason for the for the business's existence in the first place, then. Right. Okay. And uh, then there are other types of processes you have to have. For instance, environmental monitoring and management. And what that means is you have to look outside both to your customers, your competition, what's happening in the world, also to the government, for instance. So a lot of things when you have a corporate council... They're really working usually in that environmental processes. Um, another big one is the actual managerial processes. And most processes, <laughs> as people are uh, mapping them out, have some sort of way to measure the process. Because if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. Okay. So... You know, there's. it's just a lot of looking at why things are there, who are they really serving. You know, is it there to serve the customer? Is it there to serve the management? Is it there to be watching out for what's coming next or what's coming from the outside? It almost sounds, I may be totally off base here, but it almost sounds like um, a version of what we went through in the military for a while was total quality management. I don't know if They're you're... all related. Any time okay. you're working with, you know, quality or processes or, you know, things like that, it's basically saying, how do you get things done? Right. Now, a process is just a checklist. Did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do the next thing? Or did John over there do his part? And that's all that a process is, is documenting that checklist. So it's, Okay, so it's just... It's just uh organizing what it is that you do every day in a way that that uh, that you can stay with it and stay consistent in it then. Exactly. And the bigger the organization, the more that you need that sort of thing and the more that you need to be able to communicate what's happening and be able to have the process flow correctly to where it's supposed to go. Hence your description of of uh, looking at other people's watches to tell them what time it is, right? Yes, well, that's an old consultant's joke, of course, okay, yeah. because you go in and you interview people 
And then you go to the management and say, yeah, well, here's what we found by talking to your people that, you know, you could have been talking to yourselves. (laughs) Well, now, to what extent will people open up more to you as an outsider who doesn't control their destiny than they will their boss? Well, sometimes that is a, a factor. But usually it's just a matter of we've been telling management this for years <laughs> but because the management's paying me you know 100 or 250 dollars an hour they say oh well gee this guy must know what he's talking about oh i need in on this <laughs> i i so need in on this you know, you know how much more podcasting i could get done if i'm oh good heavens wow okay i evidently i've gone into the wrong mission here We'll, we'll talk later about how to become a consultant. We had uh, we, we we had um, these. Uh, were, were you were you active duty at some point? No. Okay. We had in the military. We had IG inspections. Uh, Inspector General. They'd come down from higher headquarters, and they were just totally schmoozed up to, you know, by the by the wing commander, base commander, and all his folks. And uh, we had years ago. They had a management effectiveness inspection, which sounds a lot like what you're talking about. Uh, but this was the commander's report card. So they had a, a lot invested in the outcome of this thing. And it was the same kind of thing. They would sit down and ask us, uh, the, as the worker bees, how things were going. And the way that, um, that the uh, that the base just, forgive me, but kissed up to these guys. I mean, there were fruit baskets in the in the distinguished visitor quarters and all this. To the point that in, this is, this is no longer, uh, it's been changed. But uh, if we were to actually have an attack at one of the bases that I was at, if in an event of war, Part of the checklist was to put uh, fruit baskets in the distinguished visitors' quarters because that's what we do for IG inspections. <laughs> okay. So um, they didn't do too good on their inspection, coincidentally. I don't know how that happened, but uh, it just kind of didn't didn't quite work out the way that they thought it would. How long have you? So you you've owned three different businesses. Were they consulting businesses? Uh, one definitely was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the. Second was kind of an odd business. I was doing custom poetry. Oh, we'll get into that. I didn't know. I didn't know. It was, <laughs> I didn't know it was. <laughs> I didn't know that it was. Okay, we will definitely get into that then. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was an interesting business. Uh, and then the third is just my general writing business. Okay. All right. Got it. Um. So were you? I remember when I was talking about total quality management, our, uh, one of our generals, uh, General Michael Lowe, took over at Air Combat Command in the mid-'90s, and he was a huge proponent of TQM. Uh, so when he took over, uh, purely by coincidence, I'm sure all of his subordinate commanders suddenly discovered a, a love affair for total quality management. And uh, we were all herded off to you know, classrooms uh, ad infinitum for, 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 uh, in, for in, uh, instruction and all this stuff. Were you involved in, in that at all, or as you said, it just kind of overlaps into what you were already doing? I have uh, been exposed to TQM. I've been exposed to Six Sigma. I've been exposed to all of these others. What people don't realize is it's basically the flavor, or some people don't realize, I mm-hmm. should say, is it's basically the flavor of the month. It's all the same thing, but... Um, <laughs> I have compared it in the past to uh, a certain situation that I, is not quite PC, but basically the names change, you know, because what happens is that 
management will bring in people to do such and such, and they'll call it by whatever the name of the week is. Right. But what they really want is just reduced headcount. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And so they call it you know, X, and so X gets a bad name. So then someone comes up with the same basic idea, which is the process efficiency, process management. Uh, It's been called a lot of things over time. And the next, whatever it's called, again, management comes in and says, we're doing X, you know, or we're doing Y now. And it's basically the same thing, but Again, they're misusing it and just looking for headcount, you know, uh, reductions. Well, then are and they... And so it keeps changing names. Well, if, if they're misusing the, uh, the concepts, I think, are they misusing you then? I mean, are they really trying to, uh, to, take, to listen to what you're finding, or are they just looking for a way, as you said, to reduce headcount? Uh, yes, they do misuse consultants, and some consultants are more than happy to be misused. No. Okay. Some consultants don't know what the, you know, question is. They don't really know um, what the methodology is. But because, you know, again, they just come in and do what they're doing because management has really said, no, we want to reduce headcount. But someone has, you know, this love affair with TQM or business process re-engineering or, again, whatever the flavor of the month happens to be. So they call it that, even though it's not that. So forgive my cynicism, uh, but it at times can be nothing more bringing you guys in as cover to do that which they wanted to do from the outset. Exactly. Well, that's encouraging. Well, it that's kind of how the business works. Yeah. Now, sometimes... The effort is really done. Um, oh, maybe what? Twenty-five years ago now, there was a book out called "Reengineering the Corporation" by uh, Michael Hammer and I think it's David Champy, Ham- Hammer and Champy anyway. And uh, it was the basic idea of using what I call discrete improvement, 
In other words, going through and changing, you know, really changing based on technology and uh, trying to get things, get a real advantage in how the company runs and does things. Okay. And that is basically, you know, a generation or so ago, it would have been called operations management, mm-hmm. a generation before that, efficiency experts. But it's all basically the same thing. You look at what's available now as far as technology and how the processes are done now and how they should be done, you know, uh, with a bit of vision and with the new technologies. And then you change that and apply that and use change management techniques and what have you. That's how it should be done. But within a couple of years, Michael uh, Hammer was out with a video talking about you know, re-engineering the corporation and was saying, you know, it's an 80-20 thing. And 80% of the efforts kind of get 20% of real uh, value from them. And it's only maybe 20% of the efforts that are really a success where they get 80% of the value. And the real reason... I'm not sure that this is what Hammer said, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, Mm -hmm. but the real reason that that happened from what I saw was because 80% of the time, management didn't really want to do what was being asked, you know, which is business process reengineering at that time, it was called. Um, But rather, they were more interested in, gee, can we reduce headcount, or can we do this, can we do that? Right, yeah. And it just, it was not going to be successful. Yeah, okay, maybe I will stay, uh, just keep driving the truck at this point. Because <laughs> it, does, it does seem like it could be enormously frustrating. It can. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to change gears since I'm staying with the truck metaphor here. Um, you write in that wonderful intro of yours that your greatest weakness is that you actually take action when something needs to be done which, by the way, disqualifies you from a career in public office. Just want you to know that. Um, is that weakness related to, to your work as a management consultant, or where, where does that start, come uh, originate from? Well, I think part of it is just being an INTJ in the first place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, all right. you know, we never learn. <laughs> we always yeah. think, you know, this can be improved, and I think I'll go ahead and improve it. <laughs> Damn it, no one else will. So. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, one of my best on that was, um, of course, I'm also a poet, mm-hmm. and uh, there were a, a few years back when uh, the Bushes were in the White House. Right, right. Uh, invited several poets to the White House. Now I wasn't important enough, or you know, famous enough to be one of them. Their loss. But one of the gentlemen who was made a big stink about it. Because he was, you know, a Buddhist and a, a pacifist, and he did not want to be, you know, associated with these warmongers in the Bush White House. <laughs> and he also restarted an organization that had been happening in the 60s, which was called Poets Against the War. All right. And <laughs> so, you know, being the type of person i am i started poets for the war <laughs> oh, i love that 
That's great, yeah. And basically the premise was, first of all, poetry is not you know something that is uh, on one side or the other. It's a form of communication. It's simply a medium of communication. And uh, so there should be poets for the war as well as against it. And the second, you know, point that I made was Saddam Hussein deserves it. Right, right. Poets for the uh, obliteration of terrorists. I like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was a lot of work, and it wound up giving me a bit of media attention. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was just a lark. <laughs> but again, I just saw this hole to be filled, and he had to do it. Is the group still active? No. Oh, I'm not a poet, but if I was, I'd join up. I'm, if, if, I may join up anyway and just, you know, do my Dr. Seuss or something to try to help out. That sounds like a great cause. <laughs> um, before we head off to break real quick, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to practice some uh, political process management consulting. Uh, so with respect to President Trump's first year in office and all its attendant successes and challenges and tweets and all that, if you had to assign a grade uh, to the president's administration for the first year, what might that be? Probably about a solid B. Okay. And that, and that is why? Well, he could have done a little better with uh, working with Congress. But other than that, he's doing great. And uh, as far as the tweets, yes, sometimes they uh, take attention. But I'm not sure whether that's totally intentional or not. And there are times when it's like, you know, a lot of things happen when the press is busy talking about his tweets. I wonder about that, yeah. And then there are things like the tweets with uh, uh, Kim Jong-un. Yeah, I think he understands Kim Jong Un better than the press does. You know, I think Kim Jong Un is saying, you know, we may have to watch this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he understands a lot of things better than the press does. But I, but I think I think you're right, and I think he understands uh, uh, someone like that better than a lot of the diplomatic corps does. Because you, you you can wheel and deal and negotiate and compromise compromise your way into uh, oblivion. When uh, for New Year's we had, uh, oh well, you'll appreciate this as an INTJ. We had, uh, by my count, about 11 million people in the living room uh, on New Year's Day here for all you know for unlimited food and in a good time. So I retreated to my lair here in the office, and we had one of our visitors. It was great to see him. Was a, a priest uh, who actually presided at uh, Shelley and my wedding, and we hadn't seen him in a while. He's he's been out of out of state. And he came in town, and he visited with us, and he sat down in here, and we talked about the president and the tweets. And his supposition was, yeah, some of them are just plain nuts, but he, he may be doing this to keep the press occupied uh, while he while he governs uh, in other ways. Rich Lowry had written about um, the difference. It's, it's like two different presidencies. One is over there on Twitter saying things that, you know, can just flabbergast or frustrate or do some really cool stuff. But the other guy is doing the things that Republicans have talked about doing for a long, long time, for many years, many election cycles, and he's actually getting them done. When We, exactly. heard, we heard for so many years why they can't be done. 
why we must only promise these things to get elected and then go do something else once we're in office. It's nice to see that this rank amateur is actually able to get things done that we were told couldn't happen. Very much so. And again, I, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure about these tweets, but other times I'm thinking, man, is this ever working out? <laughs> yeah, and, and like I told uh, Father Clark when he when he was here, uh, I who doesn't miss Ronald Reagan, you know, on our side of the aisle at least, because he could go over the heads of the press and talk directly to the people and talk directly to our adversaries and eviscerate them. But it was done with grace and with with uh, with a certain amount of class. But it was razor sharp just the same, and it didn't necessarily sound like the loudmouth trunk at the end of the bar. But you go to war with 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 the, with the army you have, right? And um, right, and this is grace in class for queens, you know. <laughs> that's true. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that's that's a very good point. Uh, we're talking with Ricochet member. Now, this is where I'm going to ask for your help, Charlie, because I see the spelling. But I don't want to do to your screen name what I did to uh, Melissa's name in the last podcast. Help me out with the pronunciation, please, sir. Arhant. Okay, so we're talking with Ricochet member Charlie. And <laughs> <laughs> one more time, and I don't know if I can do it, but one more time, please. Arahant. Ar- Ar- well, can I just say Arahant? Arahant? Yeah, good enough. Okay. All right. Thanks, Charlie. And... Uh, <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with some more questions for Charlie coming up. Tonight I'd like to sing the Caronome from Rigoletto. Oh, God. <laughs> Ready? Okay, sister, here we go. talk to you about the care and the maintenance of your pearly whites there. I mean, let's be honest. You're supposed to brush your teeth for two minutes twice a day, but do you? Well, whether your answer is yes or no, or maybe, you need Quip. The electric toothbrush, it looks like it was designed by Apple and cleans like premium electric toothbrushes, but without the premium high price. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into an ultra-slim design with guiding pulses to better simplify brushing at a fraction 
of the cost of bulkier brushes. What it does, because I use it, it uses smaller vibrations to gently clean your teeth rather than the aggressive jackhammer approach that you can expect with other electric toothbrushes. Not only that, but the vibrations pause every, briefly every 30 seconds or so, which gives you an easy way to know when it's time to move the brush to a different area and allows you to more accurately know how long you're brushing your teeth. Now, Quip comes with a mount that goes right on your mirror or tile surface, any smooth surface, really. Uh, you don't have to take up any counter space with it for storage. It fits seamlessly into your daily routine. There's no charger, no wires, which means Quip is compact and light to make brushing twice daily easier. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At home and on the road. Quip also uh, offers an optional subscription plan. Includes new brush heads on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Now, here's a cool little thing that you'll see when you go to their website at getquip.com. Not only can you customize the package to accommodate you or you and your spouse or even a family package, this is what I thought was really neat. You can select the color of your Quip electric toothbrush as well. You want silver metal or gold tone metal, like your iPhone, for example, you can do that. There's a slate metal, copper metal, even green or blue Quip electric toothbrushes that are available. But the best thing is that it works wonders for your dental hygiene. Quip starts at $25 right now when you go to getquip.com slash deplorable. You get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash deplorable, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash deplorable. I use it, and you should use it too. So go now to getquip.com slash deplorable and check it out. Hey, Charlie, do I have it right that uh, you play a pivotal role in the Ricochet, Ricochet's uh, group writing initiative? Well, I took over coordinating it um, a couple of months ago, actually. The uh, gentleman who was coordinating it, Gross Test, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. his wife died. Oh, okay. So <laughs> he was kind of in the middle of that, and I said, hey, you want me to take that over? And so I did. Um, the, there are actually a few series that uh, 
Ricochet has going on that the members have started. In fact, one member started them all. I don't know if you remember him, Ten Cents. Oh, yes. He was yeah. overseas, right, if I remember right? Uh, Japan, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. And he uh, started several things. In fact, he was the guy who started the pit. Okay. He was also the guy who started group writing. That was, I think, his next effort. And the whole idea of group writing is to get more people writing, uh, get them writing on topics that they might know something about, you know, if they're a little shy of writing about politics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we changed the theme every month. This month, I apparently picked the wrong theme. I've been having trouble getting people, so I've, I've had to write the, the last two. You know, the, today's was an open letter to my keyboard spider. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to do, and it helps get people involved in writing things that they probably otherwise wouldn't. How many we pay- also have the Quote of the Day series. Okay, yeah, I've seen those. And uh, that one... I took over when Ten Cents left. Mm-hmm. He had just started it like two months before, uh, and then he kind of disappeared for a while. So I went ahead and took it over and got it moving again, and uh, have been running it since. Uh, fellow who uses the name Vector Man yes, will uh-huh. be taking that over in February, and uh, then we've also got the uh, Ninety Day Challenge series where that's more about self-improvement, but I've been running those as well. How, what's, what's the participation like? I mean, on average, uh, for, the, for the group writing thing, for example, how many people do you generally have uh, helping out with that or contributing to it? Depends on the month, but uh, usually between 20 and 30. Okay. Um, sometimes we get a full 31, you know, if it's a 31-day month. And uh, sometimes we actually get a few more. In December, we had the theme holiday tr- uh, traditions and treats. Mm-hmm. And we actually got a few bonus uh, entries in there. And, uh, you know, so I think we wound up with a bit more than 31. In fact, there were probably some that I could have, you know, asked the people to, uh, you know, if, if they could have been put on there. Because, you know, people were writing about the subject anyway. Right, yeah. And uh, so, again, it, it varies, but usually uh, with the group writing, it's pretty close to the 30. Uh, sometimes people will do more than one in a, a month. Uh, with the uh, quote of the day, we often have three or four people who will do three or four in a month, and then the rest will be, you know, uh, odds, you know, yeah. where people are just doing one per month. So ideally... In, in, I guess, maybe both of these instances, you want something each day from someone yes. somewhere. Okay, all right. That, that sounds like fun. Um, I remember from our earlier conversations uh, that we share much the same passion when it comes to writing as well. Um, one of my son's friends uh, commented to him, gee, your dad must really like writing, to which I replied that I like writing in the same sense that I like breathing. You know, it's, it's, it's what I am. It's what I do. Uh, but, of course, that's more easily said than done, given, you know, work, crazy work schedules and distractions, that kind of thing. What is your advice to people who want desperately to write but aren't able to write as often as they like or who, when they do sit down to a blank page, they go blank themselves? What kind of words of wisdom do you have for them? Well, it just, uh, <laughs> every person no pressure. is different. 
as to uh, what they're doing. But the main thing is you just find ways to sit and write. Uh, there's a lot of advice out there. I know I collected about 300 tips mm-hmm. uh, on writing. And, of course, one of them is that if you tend to do it at the same time every day, then you're going to have more luck with the inspiration and it's automatically going to flow because the brain is actually very good at being trained. And, uh, for instance, (laughs) getting back to poetry, there are certain (laughs) forms of poetry, short uh, poems, where one can get into a pattern where you don't even have to think about the pattern anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the form of the poem, like limericks or haiku or tanka, and you can just, you know, roll with it, and your, your brain actually does the work behind the scenes, and you can put them out very, very quickly. So I've been in limerick duels before. It's because mm-hmm. the brain, with a little bit of prompting, can be trained. And it's the same way with writing. If you do it, you know, at the same time every day, that's one of the strongest things for helping people to be able to, um, when they sit down, they start writing. Because that's what their brain is used to. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, You wrote a a series of of, uh, advice essays, I guess I'll call it, a letter to a young writer that I read, and one of the things that you wrote stuck with me, uh, quote, once you have found that you are a writer, you never stop being one, and you never stop growing as a writer. In the unwriting time, you still grow and become more. Your experiences accumulate, your understandings of humanity and human nature bloom. When the field lies fallow, the soil becomes richer, and when it is plowed again, it produces greater harvest, unquote. I found that to be very true, by the way. Uh, years ago when I was in college, I wrote a letter to uh, the columnist and economist, Walter Williams, uh, telling him I wanted to be a columnist if I grow up. And his advice to me was not to be in too big of a rush, to live life first so that when I do sit down to bleed on a piece of paper, I'd be able to draw on a wealth of accumulated experiences and insights. Did that strike you as pretty good advice? Exactly. And that's, that's something, you know, a lot of people want to be writers from very young ages. Right. Um, I know I was writing poems, horrible, horrible poems, when I was a teenager. Um, and, you know, you just never stop if you're really going to be a writer. It's a matter of challenging it, and it's also a matter of growing into it so that you have your own voice, so that you have your own experiences so that you have your own subject. Yeah. About the poetry, <laughs> um, I have to confess I have uh, an enormous amount of um, well, confusion oversimplifies it. But a lot of it, unhappily, I'm not able to just get. Uh, I, have a, I have a great appreciation for the poet's ability to paint a, a beautiful uh, or a compelling picture in, in the mind with just a few words, you know, an economy of effort, beautifully crafted phrases. It takes me a page and a half or two pages to even start to do what a good poet can do in just a few lines. But I also confess that a lot of times I have not the first clue what they're talking about. Am I kind of a lost cause, and people like me a lost cause to fully appreciating, understanding poetry somehow? Well, it depends on the poet. I mean, 
You know, you know there's a, there was a science fiction writer by the name of Theodore Sturgeon. Mm-hmm. And um, when someone was talking about science fiction to him and saying, you know, so much of it is just bad. And he said, well, yeah, but that's because 90% of everything is bad. It's not the word of you. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's true, you know, when we look at poets from 200 years ago, they've been filtered for us so that what we see is the better ones. When we see poets living today, they haven't been filtered yet. And so, you know, if we hear about, I don't know, uh, you know, pick a famous poet, Maya Angelou, what have you, Maybe they speak to us, maybe they don't. But, again, in a couple of hundred years, things will be winnowed out, and we'll know who the real poets were. Well, and it could be that my experience was uh, limited to honors English classes that I took in college. And until we got to the poetry part, I was doing just gangbusters. I mean, I was in my element. But some of them, when we got into the poetry, I did. Now, the, the um, Tiger, Tiger, Burning, I love that. Okay. That, I mean, it just, I can see it. And, of course, I'm an LSU fan. This helps. And, you know, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that just that just speaks to my soul, you know. It's, I love it. William Blake, by the way. Yes, thank you. Yes. Then we got on to something else. And, Dave, why don't you read this one? And so I stood up and read it. And what do you think the author was trying to convey? And my answer was, I think the author was smoking his socks because I don't have the first clue. And I did, it, and uh, the teacher was not amused. Uh, the classmates were. The teacher was not, and I didn't. That, I didn't keep that perfect score up through that part of the class. But then I was okay afterwards. But it just, and it could be the material that she was selecting for us to to, to learn from. That just total, totally uh, befuddled me, beginning to end. Well, that could well be. Again, um, poetry, like many of the other art movements, kind of went a very different direction in the last hundred and fifty. So, you know, there are still some who write, you know, very much like Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. but others not so much. And uh, sometimes they uh, either are literally bleeding on a page, emoting on the page, uh, (laughs) or they are, you know, getting a little too fancy. Mm Mm-hmm anyone to actually understand it or read it. Now, one of the things about Blake was he was a visionary. And as a visionary, you know, he tended to just put down his visions. I mean, there was some, of course, that was encoded a bit, but it was not um, overly clever, if you know what I mean. Right, yeah. Too clever by half. Mm Mm-hmm. Or encrypted. Right. Yeah. The um, one uh, fairly modern poet that I love is Ted Couser. Mm-hmm. He uh, was, <laughs> I can't even get into the official title, but it's, <laughs> you know, we call it Poet Laureate, but it's yeah. not Poet Laureate of the United States. It's like Poet Laureate of the Library of Congress uh, something, something, something. An esteemed position that I had not heard of until 30 seconds ago. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 
Well, anyway, he was uh, poet laureate a few years back, and he uh, wrote a great uh, book. I don't see it right now on my shelf. I know it's there somewhere, but it's called something like the Poetry Home Repair Manual. And in it, he goes through several things, and a lot of what he ties together, or he uses stories mm-hmm. in order to come up with shorthand uh, sayings. Like one of his stories was he was the, you know a kid, maybe eight years old, and he was up in Wisconsin Dells riding on one of these glass-bottom boats. Mm-hmm. And he got totally into it. He was you know looking down there at the fish and the rocks and the you know, bicycles and old tires that were thrown out, and you could see them through the bottom of the boat. And so he's, you know, really enthralled by this, and all of a sudden a lady who was also in the boat dropped her sunglasses. And it pulled him out of the moment, and he had a sudden change instead of being in... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Enthralled. He went from being enthralled to uh, being an eight-year-old boy who was hot and sweaty <laughs> and bored on this boat. Yeah. yeah. And so what he refers to then as dropping the sunglasses in the boat is any time that you do something in a poem or a bit of writing where it pulls the reader out so that they're thinking, gee, I'm reading this, mm-hmm. instead of being in it and right. involved in it. Right, yeah, okay. And so his poetry home repair manual, I love it. I think it's great advice for any writers, you know, all of his points. And he actually does it in his poems. So his poems are fairly readable. I don't know if you remember, but uh, quite some time ago, this could be five years ago by now or more. Mm-hmm. Um, I put out a couple of poems where I called your attention to them because they were uh, road poems. Uh, it's escaping me at the moment, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not okay, drawing well, anything concrete on it. Sorry. Um, it's you know if you if you look back in my history, you'll see it. But I think it's called uh, the uh, 
I titled the thing Two for the Road. And, you know, one of the poems was where I was driving along um, and it was kind of raining. Mm. Yeah, but then the sun came out, but the cars ahead of me were all pulling up mist from mm-hmm. the road. Mm-hmm. And so the sun was going through there and there were rainbows on the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's very plain, very readable, very understandable. Um, that's more the type of poetry I do. Okay. And that's, and that's something that I, could, that I could sink my teeth into, sink my mind into, and enjoy versus the more esoteric things that were being, you know, shoveled at me in that class. So that, they said that, that, I, could, that could, I could enjoy. Now, I, I imagine there's a defined structure to that kind of thing, though, right? Um, depends. Those actually were ekphrastic, um, or not ekphrastic, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, Pablo Neruda uh, had a type of uh, elemental ode, that's what they're called, mm-hmm. where you just look at something small and talk about it and, you know, concentrate on that small thing and sort of celebrate it. So those were elemental odes. Okay. But uh, I do a lot with formal poetry. I'm actually trying to go back through my history here and find those, <laughs> find that particular one, and maybe I could read one of those poems. But. Tell me briefly, if, if while you're doing that, if you don't mind, uh, a little bit about the, you said you have a poetry business? Uh, yes, I did have a poetry business for a <laughs> while. It was a very long time ago. Okay. Um, when did I open that up? 2002, maybe, and had it for about... Uh, Seems like ancient Five. history, doesn't it, 2002? Pardon? Seems like ancient history, doesn't it, 2002? Well, it's 15 years ago. Golly. But uh, the <laughs> there were several factors involved. The first was that I was writing a book, and actually am coming close to actually finish that one, finishing that one, um, about tips for writing better poetry and songs. Mm-hmm. Because basically songwriting is lyric poetry. You know, when, when you come to the lyrics part of the song, anyway. Yeah. I'm sounding really intelligent there. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> the, um, so I was writing this book and uh, was actually taking trips to various uh, folk festivals where I would talk to the various songwriters and talk to them about you know, how to do it better. Right. And so I was interviewing them, and, you know, there was some expense involved. And I thought, gee, this would be great if, you know, I could recoup these expenses somehow. And, uh, you know, I couldn't do it until the book was written. Right. Unless it was part of a business that was bigger. So I created a custom poetry house where people would contact me and you know we'd go over it it was basically consulting <laughs> i'd ask them a lot of questions <laughs> and then do a little work tell them what time get them is. a poem yeah and they paid me for it my uh three goals in it one was to have more time to write second was to um i've forgotten <laughs> and the third <laughs> doing my rick Perry. i was getting ready work. to say you could be governor of texas i sure could uh, and the third, though, was to make a little money with it, you know, because yeah. I had the consulting business at that time also. 
So this was kind of a side business. And uh, so I was doing this, and I wound up making money, but because I was so busy with it and uh, busy advertising it and going to events and doing things like that, I really didn't have more time to write. Right. <laughs> so I, I eventually put it uh, aside. Yeah. But I did find those poems, if okay. you want. Sure. First one's called An Open Road. There's nothing like seeing a long stretch of uncrowded highway before you. That pinstripe down the hips of God's creation just calls for an open throttle of roaring exploration. It's enough to make a man break away from where he was headed to find what might be over the next hill along that highway. Yes, every hill swollen with expectation. I've known men to succumb to that pinstripe temptress whose lush body can keep those poor fellows distracted for years and hundreds or even thousands of miles. I've even heard tell of fellows who made a million miles in their long, loving voyages of exhilaration. Even as I was trying to get home after a long day at work, I heard the call. But home I came with too much to do for a short evening. Pinstripes on the hips of God's creation, like spider webs across our great nation. Roads will claim our infatuation. Oh, that is so perfect, and that I mean that just again with an economy of words, uh, but a lot of effort. That 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 so perfectly encapsulates uh, the feeling that a lot of us get who pretty well live on the road too. Understood. Wow. Want the other one? Sure. Why not? I'm enjoying this. Chasing rainbows. I was driving northwards of a winter's morning. Subtle storms had passed through. They were still passing through. The pavement was wet enough that cars kicked up an opaque mist, even when there was no prompt precipitation. These rolling fog generators still sped along at sacred speeds, for who would deny and delay our household gods of precious time? I found myself carefully observing the bumpers and brake lights that showed me where the road wanted to go. At heart, I am a babe, taking delight in minor miracles, and am regularly rewarded by the simple act of paying attention. The sun, low in the winter sky, snuck below the canopy's horizon and scattered its light amid the motorway mists. Each car ahead became a purveyor of rainbows a flying temple of iris, and I, at last, could chase rainbows to my heart's content. Or to the next truck stop. That's perfect. Well, I, yeah, again, I, I, I can see it all, you know, and I, I have seen it, but I've not looked at it through quite that kind of lens. Uh, but I can now, and I will in the future. That's nice. That's really, well, really you. good. Thank you. It's a matter of the poet's eye, right? And it's something that you do have to develop, but you just, you know, look at the small things around you, right? And a lot of a lot of them will just come to the surface and speak for themselves. You just have to be able to see it. Indeed. I'm going to conclude uh, where we started uh, with some with some questions to take us back to your hermit's cave, or the hermit's cave, but for a different reason. You authored a great many meditations uh, for the Unity Church. Uh, one of them that really uh, touched me called the silence from which i read the following 
when we seek the silence, what will we find there? Too often we find the concerns of the moment, of ten minutes ago, of yesterday, or of tomorrow. They sidle up beside us to whisper in our ears like old friends come to keep us company. We are not there for them, but for the silence. In seeking the silence, we must be bold enough to go it alone, to push aside the comforts of the company of our familiar mental travelers. We seek the unknown more. We seek the unknowable. And we must climb up to that high place alone, unburdened from the familiar thoughts to meet a new and greater friend. In the silence, we will find how to dissolve the illusions that are our concerns. And in so doing, we shall know ourselves. We are bold enough to face the silence, unquote. First of all, uh, that was beautifully written. And it seems to me, at least, that it was written from the perspective of one who regularly benefits from the experience of that silence. And, of course, that silence is vital to a few oddball personality types like thee and me. But is it reasonable to suppose that the public at large would gain a great deal from that mental and spiritual nourishment that a few moments of silence would provide for them? Or is that... Or would it just simply drive them bananas, do you think? I think that everyone needs to find it. I think that it would help people greatly. The, um, and, and it does drive people bananas, partially because most people don't want to be around the quiet. You know, because if things are quiet, then all these thoughts come popping into their head. Mm-hmm. But that's not doing it right. That's keeping all your mental travelers with you. But if you truly find the silence, it's a new place, and it's a place where the voice of God can speak to you and through you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was just thinking while you were saying that my grandfather was was in World War II. He was in Greenland uh, for a stretch of time. And one of the folks that he was assigned there with was from New York City. And he just about went around the bend in the quiet of where they were. I mean, it was perfectly quiet, like being way out in the country. There was, you just hear nothing. And they finally had to ship that guy out because he was losing his mind. Um, so, and, and I guess, as you say, they're not doing it right at that point because all the, in, the interior things are crowding out the silence. Exactly. What are the odds of successfully encouraging that kind of thing among friends and family? Or is it even, is that just a pipe dream? We could disconnect the TV, I guess. But <laughs> yank the cable out of the wall. Well, even that isn't going to help. I mean, people have to want to come to it, and people have to want to find it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can tell them the benefits of it, but that doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, run out and try to find it right away. Right. And, again, a lot of people are afraid of being alone. A lot of people are afraid of the quiet because they'll be alone with their thoughts. I've got a a friend who says, uh, you know, that he's got a lynch mob in his head. (laughs) So whenever he gets quiet with his thoughts, his thoughts are, you know, very negative and uh, very troublesome. But the thing is that we can cultivate our thoughts. What we've got in our mind is a garden. As I said earlier about poetry, we train our mind. We can train it so that you know we can come up with limericks on the spot. Mm-hmm. We can train it so we can come up with haiku on the spot. We can train it so that it starts working at a certain time of day, which is really bad if you 
then want to actually sleep at that time one particular day. But um, likewise, we can train it to be more positive. We can uproot those negative thoughts and plant the seeds of positive thoughts. And that's actually what unity is all about. And that's actually a good way to start the new year now that I think about it. Just, just, just try to cultivate that kind of thing and develop those kinds of habits and spend some time in the silence. Thank you. You've Indeed. given me my New Year's resolution. Well, feel free to also join us in our 90-day uh, challenge. Which is? Well, it's, uh, again, it was something started by Ten Cents. Oh, okay. Where he, um, basically the idea is that over 90 days, you can create a new habit. And so the challenge is actually a group of people uh, doing it so that they can um, uh, support each other in doing small new habits. It might be exercising a little more or drinking more water or uh, writing certain types of materials more, whatever, or spending more time in the silence. You know, I may actually do that. Um, I've I've, uh, I've got some goals. You can find it under, you know, if you go to my profile, Uh uh, it's probably not too far down. You'll see the 90-day challenge. It was on uh, January 1st that we started it. So you can join us. Good. I think I'm going to do that because I've certainly got some, particularly some health goals I've got to work on uh, in terms of diet and exercise and that kind of thing for my own little issues. So I'm going to check that out. Okay. Charlie, thank you so much, sir, for taking the time to visit uh, with us today and chatting with us here. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it. Open a CQ checking account and get $250 to spend freely. And that's not all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. Visit secumd.org today. On Radio Deplorable, I really appreciate it, man. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. And folks, if you like what you hear on the program, uh, feel free to go wander over to iTunes. Give us a good rating if you like. They tell us that that kind of thing is helpful. So, yeah, I'm asking. Uh, if you enjoy this and other podcast offerings on Ricochet, also remember that you can always gain access to all of the podcasts, all of the member side of the house, and even comment on podcast posts such as this one for only $2.50 a month. Just go to ricochet.com slash join and learn more. That's why I wanted you to make sure, uh, Charlie, whether or not you wanted to share your screen name. Because if not, you could go to this podcast post and say, man, that Charlie guy is amazing. <laughs> Sir, thank you so much again. And with my appreciation to you and the listener, I am Dave Carter for Radio Deploy.